Next time you're at a Cardinals game, this will be sort of fun. Quiz your friends. Have them name the top five home run hitters in Cardinals franchise history. You tell them, okay, Stan, we'll take Stan off the list. Stan Musial is number one. That goes without saying. And then go from there. What might surprise you in that top five is Ray Lankford. And then you start scanning all of the stats over the years, franchise history. Ray Lankford, top 10 in runs scored, RBI, stolen bases, and fifth all-time in home runs. The list reads like this. It's impressive. And even in saying it to Ray Lankford, I think he's sort of stunned just to hear it. The Cardinals' all-time home run list goes like this. Stan Musial, Albert Pujols, Ken Boyer, Jim Edmonds, Ray Lankford. How about that list? Ray Lankford, one of the more underappreciated Cardinals, and I think that's what led to the big push for him to get the red jacket, to get into the Cardinals Hall of Fame. We saw that a couple of years ago, and it meant a ton to him. You know, Ray was the uber prospect. He could run, he could hit. One of those 2020 guys, stealing bases, hitting home runs. And when we told him about the stat that he's fifth all time, or reminded him, he probably knows, but he said, what's amazing is I was never a home run hitter. It wasn't my game when I was coming up. And he was that uber prospect, but when he got here, to St. Louis, team wasn't very good. In 1990, the summer of 90, Ray gets called up. Whitey had just left. And then Joe Torre comes in, but from 91 to 95, those are some really bleak years at Bush Stadium. And it wasn't until 96, first year with Larusa. Also, Mark Lamping helped change that stadium. They sort of dressed it up and made it less cookie-cutter. So Bush Stadium 2 got the makeover, then then the winning started. But Ray's first few years, that was sort of a tough deal, man, with some bad teams. And we talked to Ray about the career, about the call-up. I love this little nugget. When he got called up from Louisville to St. Louis, he got a ride to the big leagues with Joe Buck. Joe was doing Louisville games, and I guess doing some Cardinal games as well, and was going back and forth from St. Louis to Louisville. So he ends up giving Ray Langford a ride to the big leagues. But we talk about the career, the 96 playoffs, getting injured sort of right before that, uh, not winning a gold glove, the relationship with Tony La Russa, how Ray left and then came back. It was actually here. You forget he had a second stint with the Cardinals. 2004 was on the team uh, that made it to the World Series, was not active on that roster uh, in October, but was here for the ride in 2004. And a lot of great stuff about being on the uh, – the McGuire-era teams where he was the cleanup hitter. Ray Lankford hitting behind Mark McGuire. Uh, fun to catch up with Ray Lankford, a Cardinals Hall of Famer. And this was a recent visit on KTRS, uh, the Big 550 in St. Louis. Brendan Weesey, the sports director there, myself. We do these St. Louis sports legends conversations, and this one is with Ray Lankford. And the Kilcoin Conversation is brought to you by our good friends at B&G Tuck Pointing. Quite simply, they are the best in the bricks. You've got the brick home, the brick garage. Maybe the chimney's falling apart. It's that simple. Or maybe your home just doesn't look new anymore because the bricks are starting to fall apart. If you need the mortar work done, foundation repair, waterproofing, they do all of it. BGTuckPointing.com. It's easy to remember because it's Bella and Gabrielle. Those are his daughters. Rich Galati, BG Tuck Pointing. Best in the bricks. 363-0525. 
0525. Tell him you heard Martin talking about him. I had him do a garage in the city when I lived down there in St. Louis Hills area. And uh, the garage was, well, it was quite simply, it was falling apart. They came in to look brand new again. You can make your home look better by making your bricks look better. They do it all. BGTuckPointing.com. They are the best in the bricks. Also, Triad Bank, St. Louis-based bank since 2005. And there are reports, rumors on the street. There'll soon be a second location. That's how well things are going at Triad Bank. Neighborhood-friendly bank. You walk in the lobby, there are actually people there to greet you. And they're friendly. How about that? Triad Bank in Frontenac on Clayton Road. They're on the web at triadbanking.com for all of your banking needs, especially local business owners looking to expand. Make sure you talk to Jim Regna and the entire team at Triad Bank. Appliance discounters. I've been bragging about that 40,000-square-foot showroom for a long time. They're doubling it. 80,000-square-foot showroom. All of that to hold the merchandise, which means you can get your appliance delivered quickly. TheAppliancedischounters.com. They've got those great GE rebates, General Electric merchandise. Get it delivered quick. Don't let the other guys tell you it's going to be a month or two. Boy, deliveries are backed up everywhere. Well, Appliance Discounters has the inventory, the great General Electric inventory. So washer, dryer, stove, you name it, GE rebates in stock, quick delivery. That's what Appliance Discounters is all about. TheAppliancedischounters.com. And Marie de Villa, Senior Living. We're talking about all these great cardinal names of the past. Well, one of them is Red Shandings, and Red for years was on the board at Marie de Villa. Lived in a villa estate there off of Clayton Road. Corner of Clayton and Weidman. Beautiful 60-acre campus in West County. MarieDeVilla.com is where you can take the virtual tour. If it's assisted living, villa estates, whatever type of senior living arrangement you're looking for, they have it. Beautiful spot out there that Red called home for so many years. It's Marie de Villa. That's M-A-R-I-D-E-V-I-L-L-A.com. All right, now the Kilcoin Conversation with Ray Lankford. We'll start with the topic of getting called up to the big leagues after being the Cards' top prospect. It was one of those things where, you know, as a kid, you always dreamed of being the big leagues. So when I got the call, I wasn't for sure. I was in AAA, and uh, Galen Pitts was our manager. So I got a call from a reporter saying, hey, congratulations, you got called up. So I went to the ballpark thinking, okay, I got called up. But Galen Pitts never said anything to me. I ended up playing the game that night. And it wasn't right after the game he told me. I don't know why he waited so long. <laughs> uh, but um, I was excited. And I actually rode to St. Louis with Joe Buck. Because he was, doing, he was yeah. doing Louisville games, right? He was, yeah. yeah, he was doing the Louisville games. So I ended up riding to St. Louis with him, and he, he commentated that night. He played against the Braves, and uh, my first at-bat was against John Smoltz. How about that? So Joe's like, I'm waiting that's for a great. That's a great way to start a rookie season, <laughs> yeah. right? <laughs> I'm like, Joe's waiting for the call-up. Ray gets his, and then John Smoltz is waiting for you. Was this – I'm trying to remember the timeline here. August of 90, had Whitey already left? Yes, he was already gone. He had resigned like a few days prior to that, and um, and I got called up. So and, I got to play with Whitey in spring training, but never during the season. And you came up in August of 90, and you end up with more than a decade-long run in St. Yeah. Louis. And I'm looking at some of the numbers. So Ray Langford career, and these are Cardinal franchise career numbers, top 10 in runs scored, top 10 RBI, top 10 stolen bases, Fifth all-time in home runs. The list reads Musial, Pujols, Boyer, and Edmonds, Ray Langford. Unbelievable. When wow. you when I mean think about that list. 
Musial Pujols, Boyer, Edmonds, Langford. When you think back on the more than a decade playing for the Cardinals, what, what are the what are the things you're most proud of? Well, I'm, I'm proud of the home runs because coming up, I was never a power hitter. I was always a gap hitter. You know, hit for doubles and triples. So just over the years, I got a little stronger, started to elevate the ball. So I'm I'm proud of of my, that accomplishment of, of hitting home runs because I was never ever um, known as a power hitter early in my career. And that sort of brings us to the modern game. I would think you were you weren't necessarily trying to hit home runs, right? And it seems like now, no. and now everybody is trying. No, I wasn't. You know, back then, you know, the Cardinals was drafting guys. Typical outfield guys were, you know, fast runners, put the ball in play, and trying to make things happen. So that was my whole game plan: was just try to drive the ball in the gap and just let things happen. Um, just over the years, I guess they brought the ballpark in a little bit. And over the years, I was able to start driving the ball out the ballpark, and I'm. The rest was history. You bring up an interesting point, Ray. You've got this perspective of playing at Bush when it was still huge, a cavernous ballpark, the AstroTurf, and then, as you said, 96, they start to bring the fences in. They uh, move to artificial grass. How did you see Bush Stadium 2 kind of change? Which which iteration of the ballpark did you like to play in more? Well, I, I, think, the, <laughs> I think the 96 part I enjoyed the most because of uh, – you know, I think one of those things when you, you just have to be in a big league. So from 90 to 95, I was just happy to be there trying to make a name for myself, trying to, you know, make sure I stayed in the big league. But looking back on it, I look back on it now like, man, how did I run on that turf and that heat? But, you know, the thing is, you just did it. You know, you're just happy to be in the big leagues. And whatever it was, you, you didn't mind doing it. You know, it was just it was a get to the big leagues. And even if it was hot, sunny days, you just played through it. How brutal was it on the on the turf back then, Ray? Say in a July or August afternoon game. It was tough. It was tough. You know, by the time end of the season, you don't you don't drop like three or four pan sizes, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, just from just from the humidity alone, you know. So once they went to grass, it was like a, a big relief just to be on grass, and, and they brought the you know the fence in a little bit, so that made a huge difference. And when you get here, and you mentioned it, the early 90s, it was a rough stretch for the franchise on the heels of the 80s where there were a lot of exciting games. There were three trips to the World Series. Was there any part of you during that early 90s looking around saying, man, how how did I get here at this point in the franchise? Because it really, almost historically, just doesn't happen like that. That had to be tough those first few years, not having you know winning clubs. Yeah, it was tough. You know, We, we had a bunch of veterans on our team that year from – when I came up in 90, 91, 92, uh, we had a lot of guys that were, when I was up, you had you had Willie McGee there, you had Terry Pendleton, you had Kyle Worrell, you had Danny Cox, John Tudor, you had the list go on and on. You had a bunch of veteran guys, Pedro Guerrero. And, um, you know, the thing about it is, during that time, we wasn't winning a lot of ball games, but I was, I was learning a lot, you know, just from the veterans, you know, just the way, how to approach the game, and it was it was relaxed. Because the thing about it, when you play with a bunch of veterans, and as a young guy, you know when you're struggling, you start to stress a little bit. So to be able to be around those guys that kind of keep me relaxed um, really helped my career. And then in '96, they bring in Tony Larusa. Jockety had already been there a year. They go out, they get Bennis and Stoudemire. They start kind of piecing it together. Give us an idea how much fun that year was to get back to October baseball, to be a part of that in St. Louis, having not been able to be part of it for the first five years. Yeah, the, well, the first five years was, 
was totally different, you know, because it was it was owned by the Anheuser Busch families, but uh, the Busch family. But um, you know, it wasn't really about the ball about the ball team. It was just more about, I guess, selling beer. But once it, once we got new ownership in, it just took off from there. You know, uh, we started getting the players we needed, whether it was a pitcher, whether it was a lead pitcher, whether it was a leadoff hitter. The owners was willing to spend money, and from '95 on, it's just been it was unbelievable. Just the amount of guys. I mean, if you look back on the amount of guys that we went out and got when we was right in the race, we went from we went and got Will, Will Clark. He was huge for us. Um, was Larry Walker. So all these guys played a big part in us going forward in, our, in the playoffs and stuff like that. But you know, early in the years, early in my career, none of you know the owners wouldn't have ever done that. Were you thinking in the NLCS, man? I'm going to the World Series. I mean, you probably. Had to think a little. When you're up three one, you had to be feeling pretty good about that Brave series. Yeah, we were. We thought we had it, man. It was just, I mean, but you know, it's not over until the fat lady sings. We thought we were we were sitting really good, but um, all of a sudden we <laughs> the Braves just woke up and and just took off on it. Same thing in '04. You know, it was like we was we had such a great team in '04, and I was like, man, can't nobody see this, and we just got swept by by Boston. Ray it, in. When we when we talked last year, uh, we talked a little bit about at the end of '96, you end up hurting your shoulder and uh, you're you're somewhat compromised heading into that uh, playoff series against the Padres, and then as you mentioned, going in against the Braves. Just in terms of health wise, by, by the time you're able as you're able to work back into the lineup, I think you sit the first couple games against the Padres, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah. At, at what point do you start to? Uh, d- d- at any point during the, those next few weeks, did you feel like yourself at all? You know, when it happened, I, I didn't feel anything just because my drilling was still going, and it was I, I dove for. But I think it was Brett Boone. No, yeah, Brett Boone hit the ball, and um, I came in and dove for the ball. And I got up like like normal, threw the ball in, didn't feel anything. But then that night, it was it was just like, man, my shoulders was killing me. And I woke up the next day, and I, I literally could not lift my arm. And so when I went to the ballpark the next day and was uh, talking with the trainer, I said, "Man, I can't even lift my arm." They thought I was joking. <laughs> I mean, it was it was it was swollen. So at that point, it was just tough. You know, you play all year, you, you prepare in the off season, and we're in that situation to, to get back there and not being able to help your team. Man, that was that was a tough time for me because I I couldn't. I couldn't throw the ball. By being left hand, I couldn't drive the ball. Right. I couldn't throw the ball. So, it, you know, it, it was just a tough one, man. Just to, just to have to be there, just watch your team play, and you couldn't be a part of it. I think that year was 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 a tough year for me. That's why in '97 I came back. I think I came back probably about a month or two before they expected me to come back because I was so determined to try to get back to get back to the playoffs. You know. Right, and so you you come back ninety seven and have a tremendous year. What was that? So that was still the resid uh, the, the residual effects of the uh, of the rotator cuff surgery. Yes, yes, it was. So I, I was just so that that also I was just on a mission to come back. We still have pretty much the same guys. So right. I figured, well, if I can get back, hopefully we can get back to the um, win the championship and get back try to get to the World Series. But. Um, so that was my whole goal. That was my mission. Like that offseason was just to train and get the shoulder back in shape, get the strength back in it. You know, by being a left-handed hitter and a left-handed thrower, I use my I lose use my left shoulder a lot. So from time to time, it would get fatigue on me. 
So I'd have to go through, you know, strenuous training, like doing a little lightweight, band weight, just trying to keep the little muscles strong. And then in 98, you did have a great view of history, hitting cleanup with a monster year yourself behind, behind Mark McGuire. Tell me about tell me about being a part of that phenomenon, witnessing it literally on the on-deck circle every time he came up. Well, I, I tell everybody I had the best seat in the house, you know. <laughs> Just to sit behind him and watch, watch um, what he was doing, it was unbelievable. And the way he carried himself, I think that was the most important thing. Is he was just he was just getting so much attention and it was like he got to go out here and perform every night, no matter where we went. It was a sellout. Everybody wants to watch Market home runs, and just the way he carried himself and the way he handled it, I was it was just unbelievable. I mean, of course, going out there hit the seventy home run was unbelievable, but just the way he went about it. And he was very different than Sammy Sosa in terms of personality. Sammy ate it up. I could, I mean, I was down there every day. Mark hated the attention that came with it, and. You know, I would argue with LaRusso and say, hey, he's got to be available tomorrow or the next day. And he said he hates this stuff. He just hates that part of it. Yeah, he, he, he hated it. He, he didn't like, you know, he was just one of the guys that just wanted to go out and play the game and be productive. You know, he didn't, he didn't like all the limelights on him like that. You know, Sammy was totally opposite. But Sammy wanted to go out, he's partying, he's celebrating, he's, he's loving all the attention. Well, Mark was more, just more reserved, just wanted to go out there and take care of business and, and help, the, you know, help the team. You know, he, he hated all the individual attention he was getting you know he was like you know sometimes if you saw him interview he's like hey but look what my other guys did you know he always just try to deflect someone on other guys let everybody know what the other guys are doing and they just as important so that's just the way mark was man yeah and i was thinking with that personality wanting to kind of just do his job get in get out and then you have people showing up at batting practice, cheering each home run at batting practice. We'll never, yes. I mean, we'll never yeah. see that again. And I think the Cardinals, they probably made a few bucks off it, opened the doors a little early. And I mean, I, if I'm him, I'm like, oh my god, this too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's one of those things, you know. You watch him in batting practice, but you, you see how far he was hitting balls. It was like, man, I said, you know, I wish I could hit a ball that far. I just, I just stayed in my lane, just try to do to do what I could do to help contribute, you know, but. And that in that year, it was just he would go out every day. He would have the same routine, um, nothing changed, and yeah, you know, he just he just took it on the stride. I mean, like I said, he didn't he didn't really he wasn't one of those guys that liked a lot of attention, but yeah, I thought he handled it pretty well. And over the years, I've heard Tony Larusa credit you for being that guy, taking that role, and that that was a big piece to what Mark was able to do. Uh, a lot of guys have had their beefs with Tony. Where, where are you guys now? Is that something that it's all good? Or it, it's funny how many players. Uh, Lance Berkman was on a show and he said, "Man, when I was in Houston, I wanted to punch him in the face." He said, "Then I got to know him better." <laughs> he goes, and "Then it was okay." He goes, "Now I love him." It, it seems like a lot of guys. It takes a while to kind of figure out Tony, or not everybody. I'm not sure Scott Rowland's having barbecues with him, but what? what how, tell me how that relationship evolved. No, we good. I think, you know, we see each other. We speak. Like I, I, I said one of with Scott, I don't think we invite each other over for barbecue, but everything's, <laughs> everything's good. We, we see one another. We say hi. Um, you know, it, 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 it was just, it was, you know, some things that, that, you know, that was going on. I just couldn't really understand, you know, when you, when you put a lot of work in and people try to discredit your work ethic, you know, I just didn't like, I just didn't like that. Because I I know how hard I worked to get to where I was at, so you know, to, to, it's one of those things to put people down when they're struggling is, is, is one thing, but we, you know, I think that's when you find out who your real friends are at that time. 
and Ray, to that end, do you feel like, and Martin uh, read off your numbers there a few minutes ago, do you feel like uh, your career that you were somewhat underappreciated at the time? I think a lot of folks now that look back at your numbers some 20 years later and realize, wow, I mean, Ray put up some amazing numbers. But at the time, do you feel like you might might have been somewhat underappreciated? Well, I, I think one of the things is I've, I've heard a lot of I've heard a lot where, oh, I didn't I didn't always come to play. I, mean, I came to the ballpark every day to play. Some days, some days I was more anxious to play than others. It's just human nature. But I, I tell you one thing: I played more hurt than anybody, than anybody on our team, or just as much as anybody on our team. One thing I always did was try to was try to be in a lineup and play. And I think some of that might have hurt me of playing when I shouldn't have been playing. But I always looked. I was always trying to be a leader by example. I wasn't the rah rah guy, let's go guys. You know, I just try to be in the lineup every day. And from when I had my shoulder surgery, from my knee surgery, uh, from my sciatic nerve, I, I think I try to play through things that I shouldn't have played through back then. You know, so looking back on things now, you just you know you look at that kind of stuff and just kind of say, oh well, you know, it was it is what it is, and you just move forward in life. But there was a groundswell of support for you to get that red jacket. There was a, a element of the fan base that said, look at the numbers and really mm-hmm. the power and the steals, that sort of rare combination when people start. And even some of the advanced metrics, I think they were looking at saying, these really favor you know, a guy like Langford in his career. And then just some Cardinal fans, they just loved Ray Langford, and it got this thing going. And when you get that call from Mr. DeWitt about the red jacket, that you're immortalized as a Cardinal, what was that like? Oh, it was great. It was it was a great feeling. Uh, when I got the card, I, I was I was speechless. But um, you know, my thing was, you know, like hiccups. My thing is, is when um when I was drafted, I I was just I just always wanted to just go out and play ball and just let whatever happens happen. You know, I just wanted to try to be the best that I can be. Um, but then over time, you know, it's one of those situations where it's like you see Bob Gibson and everybody in that red jacket. Like, man, one day I want to wear that nice jacket. And so when you get that call, it's just um, it's just an unbelievable call. You just you just so speechless, it's just so appreciative of you know putting that jacket on and, and understanding that I'm a cardinal for life, you know, and it doesn't get any better than that. Ray, we talk about you. You mentioned playing hurt a lot on the ball club. There are a, a lot of moments that we think back. Some of the highlights of you. Uh, bowling over opposing catchers. I think you did it. Yeah. Mo- I think you did it multiple times against Darren Dalton. Uh, one of them where you knocked the ball out and it was the it was a walk off run. I think, and w- I, I I remember the video of you uh, of you popping back up in the air with a fist pump. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think it was the winning run. How many times did you do that? And was that kind of like a football mentality in you? Because I know you played football uh, before your professional baseball career started. Yes, I did. But I, I think it's one of those situations where you, I turned a bad situation to a great situation where a lot of people don't realize I ran through the third base sign. <laughs> I thought the ball was hit the right field, not realizing it was hit to the second baseman. And I think it was Mickey Moradini, I think it was, who made the play. So as I'm coming around third base, I'm picking the ball going to be coming from right field. And once I looked up, I saw he had the ball. But by that time, it was either stop and go back and get in a rundown or just keep going. Well, I guess to say I made the right decision to keep going, right? <laughs> <laughs> it, 
It's funny. I was going to ask what kind of what kind of high school football player Ray Langford was in Modesto, California. Were QB running back? Oh, I was a running back, tailback. So, so did you have any so kind of, any dreams of being, you know, the next Barry Sanders or Billy Sims or anything else? <laughs> well, well, back in high school and stuff, I, I wanted to play football. I tried to play football professional. I wanted to, but you know, you guys were getting bigger and faster. I said, you know what? Let me just stick to baseball. It was a much safer sport. And then the road to the big leagues, you got to, even though you're a top prospect, you got to kind of pay your dues. It's not a given that you're going to make it, right? I mean, is there that pressure? No, it's not. No, it's not. I mean, a lot of people think when you get drafted, you go right to the major leagues. But no, you're in the minor leagues. You're on that bus. You're traveling on a bus for 17 hours with no AC. You know, you got to put your time in. But a lot of people think you just go right to the big leagues. That's. Only, I mean, it's only a, a low percentage of guys of getting drafted or directly to the major leagues. They, most of them going to spend some time in the minor leagues. And it just, again, just a, it's just a matter of how much time you're going to spend there. So my goal was to try not to stay there as long as possible. So it was one of those things. When I got drafted, I started every game from, from rookie ball when I, when I got drafted in the June draft to Johnston in Tennessee, A ball in Springfield, double A. Triple A. I started every game. I didn't. I didn't. I mean, I might have came out of the game late in the game. You know, when the game was blown out, right? But I started every game. And my thing was, I was trying to get to the big leagues. The only way to get to the big leagues is to play. So that's what I did. I played every game. And who had the influences along the way? And we always hear about a George Kissel. Would he have been somebody you were in contact with? And at any point, did even a guy like Lou Brock, who was, you know much older, have a chance to kind of chime in on your game and mentor you at all? Well, coming up through the minor leagues, I got to deal with uh, Ted Simmons, Ted Savage, you know, those guys. This is before I got to the major leagues, so I I got to deal with all those guys when I was in the minor leagues. Um, Once I got to the major leagues, you know, got to deal, you know, talk with Lou Brock, Bob Gibson, Stan the Man, Red Shaney. All these guys played a huge part in, in my career because they always gave me great advice. You know, just go out, have fun, don't worry about anything. I can't tell you what I can't tell you what Bob Gibson would say. <laughs> <laughs> I can't say that on radio, but uh, <laughs> anybody know Bob, you know, no. <laughs> he cussing you out like. But um, no, all these guys, man, they played a, a, a huge part in my career of just the, the constant advice. Because when you're a young guy in the major leagues, you know, you're going to go through ups and downs. I think the thing is, is, is knowing how to deal with when you're down. You know, when things are going great, I mean, you don't need nobody to tell you. You know, you're playing well, you, you're hitting home runs, you're still in bases. But it's when, you, when you're not doing well, that's when you need advice. That's when you need somebody to help pick you up and say, hey, it's going to be okay. Just keep, keep working, keep grinding. Everything will work out, you know. I think of a, a contemporary like a Brian Jordan. I can picture Ron Gant. We had the star-studded outfield. Who who are guys sure. that you still uh, keep in touch with? Well, I said I haven't I haven't talked to Ron, but Brian Jordan, I stay in touch. But um, but one of the things with, with myself and Brian Jordan and Ron Gant, you know, we push one another in a good way. You know, we was we never hate on one another. In other words, we want I always want a Brian to do good, Ron Gant, and vice versa. You know, we just we just push one another. Like, come on, guys, let's do it. So if I if I went up to the plate and struck out, didn't get the runner in, Brian, like, I got him. Don't worry about it, buddy. I got him. You know, it's just, just a little thing. 
So that's how we were. We were close. We was an outfield. We talked all the time. Uh, we push one another. We motivate one another. And that's what you have to have. I don't know how the guys are today with you know the outfielders and all that stuff, but that was one of the things we did. We talked about the game. You didn't have to spend the whole night talking about it, but you, you, you had a conversation and have an understanding on how the pitcher's pitching you, how he's trying to get you out, what they're doing in certain situations. Ray, you mentioned... I remember, I remember when I was coming up, and we'd, we'd go over the scouting report, and John Tudor would say, hey, don't worry about the scouting report. I want you to play this guy this way and that way, and, and if it doesn't work out, I take, I take full responsibility. You know, I'm a young guy. That's what this was John Tudor saying. Yeah. He's moving. He said, listen, I don't care what the scouting report says. I want you to move in this direction. If you know, it messes up, I take full responsibility. I'm like, okay, you sure? Yeah. <laughs> Ray, you mentioned uh, the, the 2004 club. You came back to the team for a second yep. stint with the club. Uh, did it hurt in 2001, though, to get dealt uh, to San Diego in the middle of a run? In one, the Cardinals were, uh, again, destined for the playoffs. Was, was was that a disappointment for you at the time? In 2001, yeah, it, it was. You know, it was tough to lead the fans. The fans have always been so great to me and, and my family. So, I'm saying that it was tough to lead the fans. I think, I think it got to a situation where, you know, Tony and I wasn't seeing eye to eye, um, and at that time, I just, I just, I just need, to, I just needed a, a fresh start. You know, I just had to get out of there because there's been too much tension, and that's, and that's what you know. And it worked out for the both of us. You know, yeah. they got Woody Williams; he did a great job for them. You know, and I was able to come back for for a year to finish up my career. So it all worked out. And you you saw the beginning of Albert in 2001 coming out of spring yeah. training, and then you come back in 04, and at that point he's an established star. Give us your view early. LaRusso has told the story during spring training that McGuire said, hey, if you don't keep this kid on the big league roster, you're an idiot. He's like, he goes, I'm going to remind you forever. Yeah. And like, so basically in spring training, everybody said, you have to keep this kid. Although if Bobby Bonilla doesn't get injured, I'm not convinced he's on that opening day roster in Colorado. I tell you what, yeah, they need to keep him. He was having a great spring training. But you know, it was one of those things where certain guys were like, well, it's not going to last. It's not going to last. You know, you, you're going to, you know, you're going to have those haters. It's not going to last. Well, we're going to see. Wait, wait till you guess what? It lasts. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> right? It's still going. It's still going. I mean, like, come on, man. This guy. I mean, think about it. That's why I thought when you were spring training and you, if you win a job, I thought that's what it was all about. If a guy wins a job, you put him there. Right. But it was one of the best decisions they made. They did. They made the right move by. Uh, by um, putting Albert in the game, you know, letting him come with a big league club. And the rest is history. I mean, he was unbelievable. I mean, he had such a great work ethic. It's not that he worked hard, but it was, it was, it was a thing how he, under, he understood his swing. He understood what he was trying to do. A lot of guys go to the cage and they can hit, but what are you really working on? Are you just hitting or are you working on something? And that's, that's what Albert was good at. He was good at working on something. What would you tell the modern hitter? Because we get hung up on exit velocity and uh, launch angle. I know those are a part of the game, but I do feel, and people, if I say that online, people say, you idiot, that's important. I'm like, yeah, but I think it's almost nerding out on numbers right now where guys get, it's almost like in your head, like all these other numbers instead of just hitting the damn ball. Uh, you know, I, I think, you know, you get the numbers once people 
give you all the sheets on everything that's going on. But once you see that, at some point, you got to react to the pitch. You got to start reacting uh, and believing in what you what you um, worked on and what you studied. Um, I know. I know for myself. Whenever I was swinging up, my average went down. When I was when I was swinging down, my average went up. That's all. I mean, <laughs> you know, you know what I mean. That's, I mean, if I'm swinging down on the ball, my average went up. If I'm trying to lift the ball, my average went down. So what did that tell you? Swing down on the ball. He's got a got a red jacket. And he's also the all-time home run leader at Bush Stadium too. I, I have a, I've got news for you. They can never break that record, Ray. That's never going <laughs> no, they away. Can't, right? <laughs> Can't no, t- it can never be broken. Can't take that away. Do you have no. what couple of moments favorite of your career? Do you remember the first at bat, the last at bat? What stands out when you think about the entire career? My, well, my I think my first at bat in the big leagues, I was facing John Smoltz, who was at the top of this game, and I, and I think my career couldn't have, I couldn't have faced a, a better pitcher who was who was good, who was who was challenging. Who, who who I got to face my first at bat against was John Smoke, and um, you know I watched the Braves. You know, Braves at that time the Braves was great. You know, it was beating everybody, and uh, to be able to sit there and watch watch all the Braves game, and now I'm facing them for the first time. It was it was you know you never forget that, you never forget that. That's that's a great moment. And I think I think another thing is when you know a lot of people are like oh you know you're hitting home runs and stuff, but. I took pride in my defense also. I, I love taking hits away from hitters. And really, looking back on the metrics, too, you should have won a gold glove. Probably more than once. Yeah, yeah, yeah you know what? I, I, you're right, I should have. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we, you're we, right. Yeah, I, 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 you know, I, Brian Jordan and I have had this conversation many times about, like, man, they, they really cheat us out of gold glove, man. I, I, I mean, you know, it is what it is, you know, but – I know I had years where I should have had gold gloves, but it just didn't work out that way. I don't know why, uh, but yes, it, it, it didn't. Ray, what about your base stealing? You've got, five, I think, you had five twenty twenty seasons. You had multiple seasons with forty stolen bases, a thirty-five, I think, stolen base season. We don't see too many guys today that sport the power and the speed combination that you had. Obviously, back in the nineties, we know Barry Bonds had it. He had a uh, 40-40 season. Jose Canseco had yeah. a 40-40 season. But uh, how much pride did you take in that consistency of the home runs and the stolen bases every year? Well, I've, I've always looked at myself as a stolen a base stealer, a base stealer. Even even when I was in college and high school and in minor leagues, I always felt like you know I could steal bases. Uh, never thought I could steal to the you know the Vince Coleman level, but <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I always looked at myself as a base stealer. So I, I wasn't too surprised as far as that I, I i felt like i should have stole more in my career but you know like you said one thing that surprised me is just the, the home runs i've always considered myself just a line drive hitter put the balls in the gap and you know just try to hit a lot of doubles and triples so to go from being that type of hitter to all of a sudden now hitting for power you know that i, I take pride in just doing that because i hitting balls out the ballpark i was never trying to lift the ball i was just trying to I was just trying to, you know, square it up. And what's Ray Langford doing these? I'm going to guess there's a little bit of golf going on in Florida. Yeah, there's a little bit of golf, but the game hasn't gotten any better. I, I think I need to start doing playing something else, take up another hobby. <laughs> Don't swing down on the ball in golf, okay? I think I'm swinging. I think I'm swinging down too much. Right. <laughs> I'm leaving divots. 
<laughs> the launch angle is not working for you in golf. No, it's not. Yeah, no, no. I got a couple bu- couple buddies. Uh, we have a good time playing. We have, we have fun at it. Well, a lot of fun to catch up with Ray Langford, the Cardinals Hall of Famer, who did have an underappreciated career when you start scanning through all of those numbers. Played the big role in the Mark McGuire era, hitting cleanup in the uh, summer of 1998. Good to catch up with Ray. Thanks again to KTRS, my radio home in St. Louis. Also, sports director Brendan Weesey, Mark Dorsey, the whole team over there. Sometimes we share our conversations that are sports legends and uh, put it out there for our listeners on the KillCoin Conversation, which you can always get on Spotify, iTunes, and if you subscribe, it's delivered directly to you. It helps us, too, if you rate things. Go on there, subscribe, and rate. And as always, all of the segments are available at scoopswithdannymac.com. Great Cardinal content on the uh, Cardinal Broadcasters website. Dan McLaughlin's website is scoopswithdannymac.com, and not just Cardinal's conversation there. As always, the Kilcoin Conversation presented by Marie de Villa Senior Living, located at Clayton and Wideman Road. Beautiful facility in West County, Marie de Villa Senior Living. Also, Triad Bank, they're in Frontenac on Clayton Road. Jim Regna is the CEO, and he really is all about local. Grew up in North County. He's a rosary guy and uh, has been in the banking industry for a long time, and now Triad Bank's having success because... They treat people the right way. Triadbanking.com is their website. Appliance discounters expanding the big warehouse in downtown St. Louis from 40,000 square foot to 80,000 square foot. How about that? That means if you order an appliance, it'll be delivered quickly. Don't mess around with the other guys and wait months. You can get it in days at appliance discounters. And B&G Tuck Pointing, welcome back to the uh, conversation They've been with us for a lot of our hockey coverage. Huge Blues fans inside the Galati household. BGTuckPointing.com or get a bid if it's the home, the garage, the roof, or if it's waterproofing, foundation repair. They do all of that. Call Rich Galati directly at 363-0525. b and g Tuck Pointing, the best in the bricks. I'm Martin Kilquin. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you again soon.